Amen. Thank you guys so much. I uh, really appreciate you guys' <clears throat> service in this way and leading us in worship every week. It is such a, such a joy and a pleasure to, to get to see and be with you guys uh, week in, week out. Thanks, Ruben. Thank you guys for all that you're doing. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I'm so happy to get to be with you this morning. We are going to release our kids uh, second through sixth grade, first through sixth grade. We're not going to leave you first graders out. Come on. Um, and they're going to head over in just a few moments to the, the children's building. <clears throat> well, today we get to celebrate the uh, birthday of our country. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. <clears throat> we, uh, we live <clears throat> in an incredible country. I'm going to drink a, have a little sip of this real quick. Otherwise, I might be clearing my throat the whole time. Um, how many of you guys got to come out last night <clears throat> and enjoy our, our uh, family picnic? That's great. I'm so glad you got to come out. It was a nice time. We had about 600, 800 people here by the time the fireworks went off. Um, some years we've had as many as three to 4,000 here, so it, was, it felt a little small, but it was really, really nice. It was really relaxed, easygoing. Hey, we have these uh, really cool kits that we put together for the families of our church. We gave them out yesterday and we're giving them out today. If you didn't get one, or even if you want to give one to your neighbor, please pick one up. We want to get rid of them all today, and I think we still have about 100 boxes. So please, at the connecting point afterwards, go pick up a box. Take it home. If you're not going to pick one up for you, pick one up for your neighbor. It's got like little snacks, Cracker Jacks and stuff, some uh, glow sticks and little flags, and uh, just a little fun kit for families. So play, please take it out. As we get into our sermon today, we're in a series about freedom, freedom for our families, freedom. Yeah, last week was freedom for, for uh, couples, freedom for marriages. We've talked about freedom for singles and seniors. And, uh, and as we get in today, we're talking about freedom for families. And I want to start by taking these two different words, the word freedom and then the word families. And the word freedom, I think, is a very misunderstood word. When people use the word freedom today in our context and our culture, I think often they mean whatever I want as fast as I can get it whenever I want it, right? It's this idea that I uh, get what you want when you can and do whatever you want. Uh, maybe doing whatever makes you happy. It's about personal pleasure or personal gratification, uh, maybe personal satisfaction. But when we define freedom like that, we really mess up. We miss the big picture. We miss the boat because freedom, uh, true freedom is not found in what you can do or how you can please yourself. That's actually called something else. What do you call that? Selfishness, right? If, if real freedom is born in selfishness, we've got a problem here, don't we? But real freedom isn't. It's something that's much bigger than that. In our country, we might think of things like freedom to vote. You have freedom to make decisions for our country. Or you might think of freedom uh, to own property. You know, some places in the world, people don't have the ability to own their own things. Um, you might think freedom to state your own opinion. You know, in our country, it's allowed. If you don't agree with the president, you can say that. There are some places, places on the planet when you don't agree with the president or the, the person in charge, they can literally put you in jail. <laughs> you know, some places in our world, that freedom of speech is not protected. In our country, it is. You have the freedom to defend yourselves and your property. That's also something that's not protected everywhere in the world. It's a really, really unique thing. And the reason that our country was founded is because people wanted the freedom to worship. You know, some places in this world, you can't worship what you want. You have a state-run church, and if you don't agree with the state, the organization, the government that is providing it, then you're not allowed to worship in any other way. 
we have incredible freedoms. And as we celebrate the birthday party, the independence of the United States, many have said this is the greatest country in the history of the world. When they say that, they're really referring to the freedoms that we have in this country. If we're honest, it really is incredible. No time in history has a country this large, had, with this many people, with this many diverse peoples, had the freedoms uh, as, op, as available to people in this like we do here. And we understand, if you've been American for very long, you understand that these freedoms are not free, right? These freedoms have a cost. From the war of independence that gained that initial freedom all the way to the unrest of the last few years, there's always friction and tension battling over what this freedom should look like, what, what could it look like. And that thing is going to keep costing, and that's the price that freedom carries, we, especially when we welcome di- dissenting arguments and peoples. That's part of how we've set up a democracy. It's really an incredible and fragile thing. We know that freedoms come at a cost. The word freedom really is a powerful word. But the word family also is, in power, is also powerful. Um, sometimes when you say family, it brings to mind a lot of different emotions. Depending on how you grew up or what happened in your childhood, the, freedom, the word family might bring good feelings or bad feelings. For many of us, when you say family, you think about good times, things that are safe and happy and warm and your children are, uh, are with you or maybe you're seeing your family with your grandchildren, those kind of things. But for some of us, looking back at your childhood may bring some heartbreak. I wonder, when someone says, how did you grow up, does it bring a happy feeling or a sad feeling? Normally there's a first one. And I imagine everyone has both, right? Everyone has both. No, no, no childhood is only bad and no childhood is only good. There's both, but there is a leading edge. For me, when I think about my family, describing my family, young family is very messy. There were a lot of good times and happy times, but the ones that stand out first are the hard times. Early on, my family was very, very broken. Um, my, my parents were divorced before I can remember. And, and so one of the impacts of that is I learned how to lie really early. I learned how to lie to my dad about my mom when I was with my dad. and learned how to lie to my mom about my dad when I was with my mom. And I played them against each other to get what I wanted. Have you guys ever done anything like that? No, no, Tom, I know, I know. Tom, you've never done anything like that. I remember uh, just a couple of stories I want to share with you. These are all before third grade. I remember being pulled out of school one day. We were living in Arizona by the police. They came and they got me and my brother and they took us to the police station and my dad had been arrested. And so we sat in a room. My dad was dressed in orange and he was bawling. And he said, guys, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. We cried too. I didn't know why he was there, why we were crying, but he was crying. We were crying. That's what happened. We walked out of the room and the police gave us candy and we were so excited we rode in a police car. It was super cool for a sixth six grader, six-year-old. And then they took us to a, a foster home and we stayed for a few days, which was not a good experience, just so you know. It was a really rough, rough, rough day and I look back on it. You know, another time I remember my great-grandparents, I was at my great-grandmother's house one day and my mom came. I remember she was my dad's grandmother and my mom came and my grandmother had a fit. She was screaming at her and yelling at her. She was so angry. The police came at that point as well. You see what had happened that morning was my dad, my brother and I were living with my mom and we decided, I decided, I was the older brother, that we were going to run away. So we packed up all of our toys into our bags. Once my mom went to work, we were by ourselves for a little while. I put all my Lincoln logs. You guys have Lincoln logs? put all my Lincoln logs in the bag. And because I was a responsible runaway, I, I took it to school. We put it, we hid it under a bridge real close to our school. We went to school because that's what runaways do. They go to school first. 
And then once school got out, we got, we got our bags. And I had remembered, as a six-year-old, remembered the route from my great-grandmother's house to my mom's house. And it was about two miles across the city of Austin. And uh, so we carried our bags as far as we could. And I couldn't, we couldn't carry them very far, so we hid them in some bushes at some apartment complexes and went on to my great-grandmother's house. So can you imagine the, 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 the door? When I ring the doorbell at my great-grandmother's house, she comes and said, boys, what are you doing here? And we said, we want to run away. We want to go live with our dad. And she started bawling. Then she knew she couldn't keep us, so she called the police. And then my mom showed up, and she just went off at my mom. I was embarrassed because my grandmother, my great-grandmother, is on the porch screaming at my mom in front of all of her neighbors and the police and everyone else. Crazy, crazy, crazy story. One more story is I was with my mom one day and our stepdad. <clears throat> we went to visit his family, and my stepdad and his brother started drinking, and they got into a big fight. They were, they were so drunk and so angry at each other that the brother grabbed a knife. And he went after my stepdad and the mom got in the middle and the knife went through her hand, right, right through her palm. And so my mom took us outside and here come the police again and they figured all this stuff out. And, uh, and, and so when I think about family, especially early childhood memories, I think there's some messiness, there's some destruction, there's some difficulty. And even with the freedoms that we had at that early time in our lives, they didn't seem that valuable. Um, after my third grade summer, my dad and, had full custody of us, and we moved with him. And at the beginning of my fifth grade year, he became a believer at the same time I became a believer. He sent me to a Christian camp. We, got, we became Christians the same summer. And, uh, and at that time, everything changed. The, the messy instability of my early childhood became stable. We still had lots of problems. If you hang out with my dad, he comes and visits here sometime. You can ask him. He can tell you all the mess. We had lots of problems. But all of my good memories, the fishing trips, the happy times, they all come after that period, after that fourth grade, fifth grade time frame. And so when we start talking about what it means to be free as families, you combine these two powerful words. I want to tell you that the freedom that we find in the world is not the same freedom that we have in Christ. A worldly freedom will cause you to pursue things that can take life from your family. Whereas a Christian freedom, the, family that you, the, the, the freedom you find in a Christian home gives life not only to your family, but to the world around you. We're going to talk about that. So we're going to start in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5. It's the basis of our, 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 our series is it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. My first point is I want to say that true freedom is only found in Christ. Ephesians 5, 8 through 20. We're going to read some verses here. I just, we'll make a, a short point. It says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Again, I think about the early picture and the later picture. You were once darkness. That, that was my family. I know what that feels like. And now you are light. Live as children of light. Listen to this. For the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it's said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil." Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today's modern freedom is really a quest born out of selfishness and ambition. But true freedom is found in the denial of those exact things, the denial of selfishness and ambition. Paul encourages the Ephesian believers to turn away from darkness and be filled with the Spirit. And Paul gives the Ephesian church great encouragement about, it, about what it means to be people of light. You think about the, the definition, he says, goodness, righteousness, and truth. God gives this encouragement and then moves on to instruct them on what it looks like for, for families to be believers. I want to just stop real quick and just tell you that families are bigger than just the families we use today. It's not just the nuclear family, which is dad, mom, and a couple kids, right? Uh, the first century family included the people that lived real close around them. Oftentimes, the grandparents and cousins or aunts and uncles might live not only in the same house, but in the same compound, right in the same area. It might include neighbors and, and, and employees, people that they work. It's really your, your relational network, the people that you're around the most is the way that they use family here. And so uh, our, our first thing is that true freedom is found in Christ. The second thing is that freedom in families includes this word submit, submission. It's a tough word. Uh, if you look at verse 21, the verse says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is an overarching principle. It, it kind of sets the tone for these next several verses. And this principle is applied to all believers in all times. That means all families, all organizations, all disciples, disciple makers. Maybe we should even rename the sermon freedom to submit to one another. That's what this word means. And it is a difficult word. And in our word today, some people think the word submit is offensive. <laughs> it's very difficult when you think about it. Some people interpret the word submit as like forced obedience. When you submit to somebody, it's something you don't have a choice in. That's not the way Paul is using the word here. Paul is using the word here. It's much closer to, to humbly serve. It's to put yourself underneath the authority of someone else. So when he says here, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the, the principle is that me as a follower of Jesus would submit to you, Ron, because you're my brother in Christ and I love you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a part of it. And you are gonna submit to Susan because she's a sister in Christ and she loves the Lord and you wanna help her and serve her and meet the needs. That, that's how this is working. It, it's not a, um, uh, an overarching forced obedience type of submission. It's a humble service. It's, it's a way to position yourself in a way that puts someone else's needs above your own. Um, it, it reminds us that the freedom that we find in Christ is not a freedom to serve just our own satisfaction and personal happiness. The freedom we find in Christ is a freedom to put our needs aside so that we can put someone else's needs first. Paul continues, and this, is, this gets awkward, it gets difficult because he gives some specific instruction now within the families of how this word lo looks. So he says in verse 21, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. In verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Again, this verse is often looked at quite offensively in our modern Me Too movement day where we say, wow, wives, submit to your husbands. But just remember, he already told the husbands to submit to who? Each other. This is not a difficult thing. He's already said, submit yourselves one to another as unto the Lord. So within a family, wives, submit to your husbands. This is very simple. This is put your own needs aside, put his needs first, like we're supposed to do with all other believers. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. These words are bold, but remember the mandate is to encourage women to give their service to their husbands. It's not a, a what did I say? It's not a forced obedience. It's a humble service, right? It's a different perspective. So then he goes on and he gives some rules to the men. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present to her, I'm sorry, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So the command here to husband is compounded on top of the command from above. What was the first one? Submit yourself to one another as unto the Lord, right? On top of submitting yourself to each other as unto the Lord, the husband is commanded to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a more difficult of the two. Ladies, you can say amen. But it would almost be a trap because we know that God doesn't tell men to love their wives only. What does he tell us about love? What? One another. another. Oh man, Paul, you're doing it. You're really messing with us here. Because Paul tells us in, in, in Corinthians what love is and John tells us in chapter 13 to love one another. Look at this verse. It's John 13, 34. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. This is for who? Only husbands? No, this is for all believers of all times. This is another one that goes for everybody. So it says, uh, as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If we're a mission-sending church, we care about how the world sees us, and we care about taking the gospel to the world, guess what we also have to care about? The way the world sees us caring for each other. And inside of a family, it's so much more important. How can we have a church that loves each other and have families that are not? It can't work. So Paul is saying, church of Ephesians, of Ephesus, the church, you guys have a responsibility to care for each other, love one another, and inside your families, it's even more important. Wives, serve your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's an encouragement to them to do even more so what he's already told us to do in other places. What is love, by the way? If you go to Corinthians chapter 13, it says things like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It is not envy. Right? It doesn't look out for its own needs, but it looks after the needs of others. It says it always hopes. It always protects. It always perseveres. That's what God has called every single one of us to do for every single one of the people here. So yes, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives that way. And unfortunately, ladies, it's really clear you're supposed to love your husbands that way. So we serve each other humbly. 
That's what freedom looks like. The, the, the family begins to be this powerful thing where God has given us the freedom to put each other's needs in front of each other. That means when, when you're hurting, Tom, your wife gets to have your, your, your back. She's taking care of you. When someone attacks you, Debbie, uh, David is the one that can say, I'm gonna step in there and make sure that they know this is not okay. This is the way the church works. We take care of each other. We serve each other humbly. We submit to one another because we choose to. And we love each other the way God loves us. So many, so long, these verses have been used to define men's and women's roles. We, we act like they're in isolation from the rest of scripture. Women submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Yeah, but it's, they take out the fact that those commands are given to all believers in many other places. We have a responsibility to follow him for all that we are. I'll move on. Third point here is that true freedom brings life to families. Worldly freedom will take it from you. I shared several traumatic experiences from my childhood and I was telling you just how difficult it was. Those things were really simple. I can tell you one for, for each one, for the one where my dad was, was in jail, he was put there because there was a false accusation that put him in, in, in that jail. After a year and a half of a very expensive defense, the judge threw out the whole case and released my dad and all of it went away. But it was a terrible and long thing, a long ordeal for him to deal with and our family in the same process. The one where we wanted to run away from my mom was, was, was built out of a, a kid's selfish ambition and a lot of turmoil going on in our house. I thought it'd be so much more fun to live with my dad. He lived in like Arkansas somewhere and it was like camping when we go hang out with him. It was awesome. The third one where, where my, 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 my stepdad and his brother got in a fight, it was simply because it was the debauchery of a lot of excessive drinking. I think if you had asked them earlier that day, they had no intention of doing those kind of things, much less having mom get stabbed in the middle, right? Like those kind of things happen because people take freedoms too far. They abuse the freedoms that they've been given. When we pursue the freedom that is found in Christ, we escape the bondage that those other freedoms can give us. You know that if you have too much alcohol, it can literally cause an addiction where you feel like you don't have a choice. Do you know there's so many other bad habits and things you can do that, that you have the freedom to do within our culture and, 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 and in our country that can cause you to be dependent on them? But the freedom we find in Christ delivers us from those bondages. It takes away, it can take away some of those addictions. It can take away the, the ways that we are tied up in our sin. Last week, Pastor Julio talked about the freedom we find in marriage, and he used a verse out of Ecclesiastes chapter four. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Beautiful verse, a powerful verse, and he said that every couple, husband and wife, with Jesus is that strong cord. It's that strong rope, but a family gets even more than that. It's mom and dad and Jesus, and then son and daughter and, and aunt and uncle. And, and all of a sudden you've got a cord of seven, 10, 12, 15. And if we think about a church like Calvary, we have 500 families. If 500 families are tied together with the freedom that we have in Christ, it's an army. It's so much more than just one or two people trying to not be broken. It is a community of faith that loves each other and can stand against whatever would come against them. That is the freedom that God gives us. A free Christian family is a powerful force indeed. 
I want to close with this verse. It's in Philippians chapter 4, 5 through 8. And it says this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this is the one. If there's anything to burn into your heart when you leave here today, it's this one. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. This is what the freedom really looks like. Freedom to pursue whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, and excellent, and praiseworthy. Today, as you celebrate the 4th of July, remember the cost of true freedom. You can imagine the cost of the freedoms we have in this country, and it's an incredible country, and it's an incredible place to live, and the costs have been high. But the cost for true freedom is even higher. It's a God who loved you so much that he sent his son from perfect heaven to live in an imperfect world. In that imperfection, to take the sins of this world on his own shoulders and die on the cross as the payment for all of them. Yours and mine, my mom's, my dad's, my my stepdad's, all of it was paid right there. And then God resurrected him to new life and he's the king. He's the king with all authority, heaven and earth. And he's given us a task as God followers with the freedoms that we have as families to pursue him, to go and make disciples wherever he would call us, to whomever he would call us, to baptize them and teach them to obey what Jesus commanded them. And that's the gospel. That's the very simple truth that God has given you, the freedom to pursue him with all that you are. As we close, as we have the worship team come back up, I want to tell you, my wife and my kids, they don't know anything about the suffering that I remember when I was little. Praise God, when I was a kid and all those things that made me nervous and stressed out, it made me scared, made me wonder what was gonna come next. My kids have never had to ask those questions. We work so hard to serve God with all that we are so that anyone that interacts with our family will find the hope and love and peace that God has given us. That's not to say that we're perfect. We have lots of problems. Ask my wife, she'll tell you all about them. (laughs) We're a mess. But we're not like that mess. God has given us something more. And our prayer is that God would continue to do that in our lives and the people that interact with us and in our church life, the family of God here, and that your families would become free, free in Christ to pursue him with all that you are. Would you stand with us as we pray? God, we dedicate our families to you. You are the giver of freedom, God. We know it. And it's real freedom, freedom that will last, freedom that will will give us the opportunity to do what we can't do in our own strength, God, to deny ourselves, to put others' needs in front of ourselves, God, to seek you above all else. Lord, I pray that today as we consider freedom in our country, that Lord, we'll remember that there is a freedom that goes beyond what our country gives us. Help us, God, to give you everything that we are. That, Lord, you would be the center of our hearts and the center of our families, the center of our church and community, Father. Make yourself famous in us. 
Today, church, if there's any of you that are far from God and you really want to pursue this Jesus, you want to pursue the freedom that can only be found in Christ, then during this song, just take a minute and speak to him, talk to him, cry out to him. If you want to talk to one of us, there's pastors here. We'd love to talk to you. There's people around you that love you. If you want to come to the front and pray, feel free. This is the time. This is the moment where God is calling you to trust him with everything that you are. Let's sing.